So as we get going here with the class, as we start talking about Jesus, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3. I have embarked upon a journey that has been blowing my mind and redefining so many different things that I have taken for granted for years and years and years. And uh, part of it is, like we'll start to talk about today, is redefining what the gospel is. Uh, and, and, and talking about that as we focus in on Jesus for these classes. Now somebody read for me with volume, enthusiasm, and accuracy. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Who's got that one? Go for it, bro. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is from that, that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Okay, now this is kind of the goal of our class for the next six weeks, is to know Jesus, to get to know Jesus. Now here's Paul, one of the few people actually the only person on the planet that we know of who got to meet Jesus and talk with him after his ascension into heaven. Okay, and then whatever happened to him during those times when he was roaming around and the Lord was giving him the God, you know, we don't, he kind of vaguely refers to these mystery years that the Lord kind of taught him and brought him up to speed on some stuff that because he was not one of the original 12. Uh, but, but, Here's a guy, he's been going around, he's been preaching, he's been suffering, he's been doing a lot. And here he is saying, I just want to know Jesus. Not like I want to know him as my Lord and Savior, I want to have a relationship. I just want to know, I want to know about his resurrection. I want to know, I want to share in his life. And I appreciate that heart. That's our goal. To think about him in ways maybe we're not used to thinking about him. Because Jesus is... I don't know, for those of you who have been married, and my lovely wife and I have been married for several years, and I have found that if you're not careful, you can begin, familiarity does not necessarily breed contempt, but what it does is it just breeds laziness. You know, I'm just, oh, you know, we've been married so long, I know what to do, I know her, she knows me, we got a routine, we know what's going on, and you don't think about the relationship as much. And we can be that way with Jesus. I don't even think about it. Oh, I, I got that one down. That relationship I can do in my sleep type of a thing. And, and, and that's what I want us to really try to push ourselves beyond. To really try to get to see him with new, in, in a new light and to go deeper, therefore, in my relationship with him. Okay, now, when we think about the gospel, okay, I was talking about redefining the gospel. The gospel, in its basic form that we normally think, like I said, what is the gospel? What do you think? What, 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 do you, what, 
Well, how do you answer that question? Someone goes, what is the gospel? <laughs> Surprisingly enough, Jim has a comment. Yes. <laughs> First Corinthians 15, uh, verses uh, 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Who else? What else? Any other thoughts? Yes, ma'am. That God came down to be with us. God came down to be with us. Okay. It's the good news that um, you're not you're not saved by trying to keep the law or trying to keep rules. You're saved by God's grace by trusting in Him by trusting in Jesus. Okay. Okay. So it's for everyone. I'm saying again. What did he just say? Affection Affection and desire. Okay, I'm sorry. Yes, amen. Yeah, a lot of people will talk about the gospel, and we hear different things. And all of these, I'm saying, none of them is like, I mean, first of all, like what, you know, uh, Jim quoted a scripture, although there are other scriptures that I could quote. And we're going to read some other scriptures even today, and also in the sermon today, talking about the gospel. A lot of times, the gospel is focused on me. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sins so I can be forgiven for my sins. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Okay, but what I want to know is saying, what if the gospel presentation didn't begin with me but began with Jesus? Okay? Not it's all about me. But today, particularly in the Christian culture of today, so much of it is me, 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 me. What I can get which is just a bleed over from the culture in general, which is all about me, me, myself, and my selfie. Okay. <laughs> Moreover, this truncated gospel, this gospel that has truth in there, but, but some stuff has been cut out, it assumes that the ultimate goal for humanity, the ultimate goal for us, is bliss and heaven. That's the ultimate goal in life. And yeah, there's some scriptures that kind of lean towards that. But if we think, start thinking about, well, maybe though, what is the ultimate goal is being a living, breathing part of God's kingdom here and now. And heaven is only an extension of that. Okay, instead of this is kind of this little thing that we got to do here and now in order to get that. So I want us to try to think about these. And to do that, we got to get to know Jesus. We got to go to the very beginning. What do I mean by the very beginning? I mean the very beginning. Somebody read John 1, 1 through 3. John 1, the Gospel of John 1, 1 through 3. Who's got it? Hannah? Or Reuben? Go ahead, bro. Yeah. Go for it. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Okay, you don't get much more beginning than that. Yeah. I mean, it even said in the beginning, in case we were confused. Yeah. <laughs> all right? But, okay, one more verse just to hit on this first. Colossians, and I'm sorry, I had a handout, but then I changed all this at the last minute, and I didn't get to change a handout. Okay, Colossians 1. Hannah, you can do this one. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Oh, she's got that old school Bible with paper and everything. Oh, come on, girl. Read that thing. Yeah. 15, 16, and 17. Yes, ma'am. He is the image of the invisible God, the 
firstborn over all creation, for all things in heaven and on earth were created in him, all things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and all things are held together in him. Okay, again, when you start thinking about Jesus, you got to go all the way back. Sometimes we pigeonhole and compartmentalize things in the sense of, well, there's God and Jesus is kind of sitting over here in the wings waiting for his debut, which will happen in Matthew. And God's kind of doing all the heavy lifting until Matthew. And then when, when, when God does all that, and when it's Jesus' turn, then Jesus enters, act two. Okay? And then Jesus does his thing. And so, but what we got to see is to understand Jesus... I don't understand how this works. In John and Colossians and the other passages, he was God, he was with God, he was God. It was created by him, it was created for him, nothing's ever created without him, all of these things. But I want us to keep in mind as we start to look at creation, and don't think I'm totally crazy or heretical. But when we start looking at some of the things in the Bible, I have come to the conclusion that much of it is could be, how should we say, metaphorical or allegorical in places. Meaning, God is trying to figure out how to communicate something beyond our ability to grasp. And he's trying to communicate it. To, and here we are, we're in the 20th century, right? Well, let's go back to, you know, a couple of thousand years B.C., and that's who he's trying to get. We think we're enlightened. And maybe compared to them, maybe we are in some things. But is it possible that in light of reality and what God's trying to explain, we're like the cavemen. Yeah. We can't grasp what he's really trying to explain. So he puts it in certain terms. That's not meant to be literal. He's just going, this is the only thing you can understand. You know, when we try to grasp what God means when he says, you know, a thousand years is like a day. Well, does that mean a 24-hour period? You know, he, Jesus has been gone two days. Or I don't think he's trying to be literal there. He's trying to let you know that, dude, with time, me, time means zilch. Nothing. There is no time. You can't even conceive of no time. There's no concept of time. We can't even grasp that. Because so much everything we do is governed by time. And limited, we can't grasp what it means to live past, present, and future all at the same time. We can't do it. So, how does God handle all of these things? He comes up with stuff, huh? Okay, and, and, and hugely entertaining, but even it falls short, right? Uh, and we can thank Bill Murray for that, but yeah, so he tries to communicate different things. And uh, in different ways. And we're going to read, because we need to go back, as we're going to look at history. Now, some of us, we don't like history, because why? Why don't we like, if, if you're one of those people who says, I'm not a big fan of studying and reading about history, why is that? Because it's boring. Because it's boring. Well, I mean, no, it's not boring How to me. It? Now, wait a minute. Oh, to some people. Talk about me. Oh, okay. I love history. I've heard that some... I just hate math. Oh, okay. Nevertheless, it's... Okay. Some people say, why is it boring? Why do some people think it's boring? It's just a regurgitation of facts and 
facts and dates and figures and junk like that. Yes, ma'am? Say that again. Oh, it's only written in the aspect of the winners. Right. Well, that's part of the, uh, you know, the prize of being the winner. You get to, you get to write it. You know, that, that's, that's kind of the uh, winner goes to spoils and all of that stuff. Now, history. Hold on. We're going to move on. In the Jewish mind, in Jesus' time, they kept things very simple. Okay? History, there were two things. There was the present age and the age to come. That's it. That's all they worried about. This present age and the age of everything in history from creation of the world right through to their day was considered present age. Now, the Christians came along and they kind of tagged on a little parenthesis in there that from the days of Jesus on was the last days of the present age. Okay, but there was basically this world, that world, that was basically it. It was simple. I like simple. Simple is great, but is it accurate? Okay. I tend to feel like there was something even before the present age on this planet. Remember, though, Jesus here, we got to get it. We're going to take, he has an integral part of the past. Let's go to the past. Let's go to creation. Let's go to Genesis. Genesis 1. Now, again, you got to think about Genesis differently. Because it says God saw this, God created this, right. and yes, it did say, "Let us make man in our image." And you think, who's he talking to? But it's remember what we just read in John and Colossians. It's not God necessarily as we think of it, because Jesus was intricately and intimately involved in right. all of this. Right. And how does Jesus and God work together? That's just beyond us, anyway. <laughs> Genesis 1, 31. Everything's been created here, you know, except Adam and Eve. Um, I'm going to say, even, even Adam has been created at this point in Genesis 1. And in verse 31, it says, God saw that all that he had made, it was very good. And then there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Very good. A direct translation would be exceedingly good. It was exactly what God wanted. When he created this. Now what was it like? What? When I say this is what God wanted. This is what Jesus wanted. This is what Jesus did. Okay? Nothing was created without him. So let's learn a little bit about Jesus. When he wants to create something, what was it that he was going to create? Yes, ma'am? Were you, was that a... Oh, okay. All right. Yes. Okay. To get a clue, the Bible doesn't really say a lot about what it was like. Again, Genesis is not a history book. It's not designed as a how-to book. It got to God, and it's a very interesting thing about God. To us, the most significant event in all of human history, meaning, how did I get here? Okay? How did this all happen? The God goes, oh, you kidding me? That was so simple. Two chapters, I'm done with that. I want to get to the important stuff. That's how incredible God is. The creation of all reality to him was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did that. You know, it's like, it wasn't that big a deal to him. He just spends a, a chapter on it out of the whole Bible. But we figure we can get some clues as to what it was like by looking at what was lost. Because if you look at what was lost, then you can kind of make some assumptions about what you had. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's see what happens with what's lost here. Chapter 2. 
Somebody read Genesis 2, 15 through 17. We do have a little bit about what God told Adam to do. What do we have here? Okay. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay. Now again, I tend to think, and here again, I'm getting heretical, I tend to think there was not a literal tree. Okay. I don't think there was a tree of life, and I don't think there was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. I think it had something to do with man growing and then turning and making a decision to turn against God. It was not like this physical thing. But again, I think God's trying to figure out, how do I communicate this to a people who don't grasp some of these other issues? But that's neither here nor there. And If I'm wrong, I hope I can still go to heaven. (laughs) But what did he tell Adam he needed to do? What is his job? Okay, and again, this term garden. Is there a garden? Is there like this planet that's not so nice, but there's this one section that's really cool? (laughs) Again, I tend to think not. I tend to think the whole planet is the garden. Everything God created. God didn't say, I created it all. It's good. But that part's really good. That part's pretty special. That's for you. Yeah, that one's for you. No, I think the whole thing, he created it. He was fired up about it. It was exceedingly good. The whole planet. And he creates Adam, or which is basically translated man, humans, to take care of his creation. You're to tend it. You're to support it. You're to take care of it. And the environmentalists love this part of the Bible because they say that's what we're supposed to do. We've got to love our mother earth. Now in chapter 2, verse 18, says, woman was created, you know, that whole, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create, you know, woman to hook, hook up there and, 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 and help the man. I want us to understand, first of all, woman was not created for man. It wasn't like, okay, it was, it was as not created like the guy, he, he's helpless, he's clueless. I got to give him somebody to help him to figure this out. Makes perfect sense to me. I mean, it, it, yes, I mean, notwithstanding, but... And again, words mean a lot in, in, in the old translations that I grew up with and some of us grew up with a, a, a help meet for him. Yeah, right. And then yeah. that somehow didn't make sense, so we changed it to help mate because the word mate made more sense to us than meet. So what we did is we took an archaic translation and even changed it to meet us, to, 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 for help us. And, and basically it means a, a partner that's suited to him. Yeah. Not to Adam but the female to the male. These guys are designed to work together side by side as partners. Mm-hmm. That's what God has created. You know, the weaknesses in the female, the male can theoretically, you know, and these are all stereotypes, but, you know, they, they, they come from somewhere, right, William? And then the weaknesses in the male, the female picks up the strength for it. And they can work together. And that's what they were taught. But then sin comes in. All right? Jesus had created this incredible thing. He's got this great creation. We're going to learn a little bit more about it here in just a few minutes. He's got men and women, male and female. They're down here. They're taking care of it. They're designed, working together. They're, it's, it's awesome. 
and then somehow sin comes in, and we got we have the tempter, all right, and he comes in and he tempts, and then we find the woman, you know, she's tempted and she eats the apple, and again, I don't think it's well. First, it never says apple; it says fruit. I, I don't know that it was a literal. This is that thing. Um, then Adam falls into sin. To me, it makes much more sense that somebody fell into sin and started drawing a bunch of other people into sin because I think there was more than Adam and Eve there. I'll tell you about that one in just a second. Right now, we're going to see what changed. Chapter 3. This is what happens to Jesus' world. Beginning in verse 16. Somebody, well, I'm going to, I'm going to stop as we go, so I'll just read it and then ask some questions here. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. What does this imply that was happened before sin? She was going to be cool. It wasn't painful. Okay. Yeah. It, I'm sorry, what? She had children. Okay, number one, it implies she knows what childbearing is and having children means. Okay. So sometimes we feel like it's just Adam and Eve hanging out. But it could have been Adam and Eve and a whole bunch of people. <laughs> Secondly, and, and here's another thing that gets weird, guys. The word Adam and the word Eve are not necessarily names. It can be translated as man, men, women. God could have created a bunch of them. Which is totally outside of what my picture Bible has. <laughs> but there's nothing in the text that says that it that, that leads me to believe that it, it's not that okay but the point is is they were having kids and number two what was the number two they know they know about having kids and number two it was easy yeah oh yeah there you go inexpensive Health insurance was for everyone. <laughs> so, these are things that were going on, and we're going to get into some implications of that. Well, what does what does those two things imply? Because God told him, remember, his first command to Adam and Eve was what? Make babies, yeah. Be fruitful, multiply. So, for all we know, they could have been doing that. We're going to see in a minute. Another implication is, is they were immortal. Okay, because there was not death yet. Right. It could have gone on for thousands of years. They could have been being fruitful and multiplying. Right. Okay. The other implication is, is, remember Cain killed Abel? Right. Remember that? That's a bad thing. And then God was going to do something. He goes, no, you don't do that, God, because people will see that and they'll kill me. And you're going, who is he talking about? I'll know of three other people right. on the planet. You just killed one of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, but, but Cain was worried about other people seeing him and killing him. But where did those people come from? I think they were obeying God. They knew about childbirth. There wasn't any pain and, and all that stuff in childbirth. So they're just making babies and being fruitful and multiplying and teaching them. God said be fruitful. And everybody's being fruitful and multiplying. So here we go. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Okay, sisters, I'm sorry, but that's in the Bible. It implies before the fall that there was much more of that equal relationship. We're not talking about ability here. We're not talking about worth. Right now, we're just talking about role. Okay? And that whole thing about desire, you look up and it just means you're going to run after. 
Okay, whatever that means. Verse 17. We're going to move on from this hotbed. <laughs> now to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate the fruit from the tree, which I commanded you don't eat. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. You will eat food from it all the days of your life. It'll, it's going to produce thorns and thistles for you. And you're going to eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat your food until you return to the ground from which you have taken. Uh, from dust you are and from dust you will return. What does this imply of what happened before this? There was no dust. Okay, first of all, there's no return to the ground. From dust you were taken, the dust you will be returned. They didn't have to, like, work for food. Okay. So, so something about uh, food was readily available? Maybe? Yeah. It was, or easy to get? Right. All right, anything else? We can see in here. <laughs> there wasn't no dandelions blowing up, messing up my yard. <laughs> yeah, those your physical needs were being taken care of somehow. All right, and yeah, yes, sir. Implies there's much more uncertainty about life and what what the next thing is going to be. I think when they're with God. It doesn't necessarily matter if you have an excess of food. You always have an excess of God right there beside you. Okay. Completely in the mix. So even if there was an excess of food, even after they, that separation, there's still that uncertainty of right. what's the next thing that's yeah. going to happen. We've never been in this place before. Very good. I, I didn't think of that, but that makes sense. It implies that there was a certain just confidence we're going to be taken care of. Right. Somehow, the, God's, ta- God's got me covered. God's got this taken care of. Now, Jesus will later say, trust, God's got you covered. God's going to take care of you, right? Seek first the kingdom. All these things will be given to you as well. Don't let God, you know, all of these things. But in the garden, that's basically, it it was, let's say, carefree Mm -hmm. in a sense. And they knew nothing else. Well, yeah, I mean, this is what it was. In verse uh, chapter 3, 22, man, this is a weird one. And this is, again, I think it's kind of an, a, 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 an allegorical thing to communicate the idea of mortality and immortality. The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Again, if this is literal, then there's this tree that I got to eat from it and I'll live forever. I don't know. What does that mean? I got to eat from it every six weeks, you know, kind of get recharged with immortality, not immorality. That would not work. Um, or, or is this thing? And then what happened to the tree? He just said, well, you know, later we see things like, well, we'll put an angel to guard the garden so you can't get back in. Again, I'm going, well, is he still there? Is the garden still there? Did the garden just disappear? What happened? I think is again, God's trying to explain things in a way like, the garden's gone, and you can't get back in. Why would they need that? I don't know. Well, well, I don't know. As I say, he's just trying to figure it out. I don't know. But if, it's, if, it, if, the, if the garden's not gone, then where is it? I don't know. Yeah, something. Yeah, and maybe, maybe it slipped. I, I, I don't know. But it implies that they had access to this immortality. Now they do not. That, that is one of the implications. For, and it goes back to that immortal thing. 
This, to me, helps me understand a whole lot, and this is just little side notes, because people get weirded out about the age of the earth, um, evolution, where did dinosaurs go, okay, because they're hugely popular, and we ought to know where they came from, but we ought to understand it. Well, if we don't take this thing literally in these ways, which is hard to do, you take a word like day. When we say that word today, we normally mean by the word day, what? 24 hours. A 24-hour period marked by what? How do we determine what's 24 hours? The sun and the rotation and the spinning of the earth and all of these types of things. But we had the first, second, and third day before the sun was even created. It was not created till day four. So maybe day doesn't mean 24 hours. Maybe day means the first chunk of time, the second chunk of time, the third chunk of time. All of good have been, well, to God, it doesn't really matter because he hadn't even set time yet. Hadn't even started up how we keep time and understand time yet. How are we going to grasp that? We're not. So he's just going to say, yeah, day one. <laughs> and he's going to go on. Yes, Jeremy, you had a comment. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, well, Genesis 1 and 2, it's not a, it's not a science text. It's not a lab notebook. Right. It's Hebrew poetry. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's trying to get across a point. Right. It's not intended to do that. And so he creates man and woman. Okay, we call them Adam and Eve, and we have made them into one man and one woman, but there's nothing in the text that indicates it has to be a, a guy and a gal. Okay? It could have been men and women. And he tells them, be fruitful and multiply. And they're immortal. And they have no worries. Food is readily available. Life is good. We're going to see in another minute what we're trying to get back to. Even the animal kingdom is pretty cool. They're not killing and eating one another. All right. So all of this stuff's going on. What's to prevent them from going and being and fruitful and multiplying for thousands and thousands of years? As uh, uh, Mr. Jacoby, uh, brother, brother Jacoby, he goes, he believes in evolution. He just thinks God did evolution. That's how, that's how he did it. I'm kind of in the middle. Uh, I, I mean, this is just my idea how Jesus would do things. Um, I, I believe in evolution. I don't think that's how we got started. And I don't think he started with an amoeba. I think when he created mankind, he created a full-grown, healthy male. And he created a full-grown, healthy female. And if you were to look at that female or male, five minutes after he made them, how old would you assume they were? 21, 25, whatever you think is the kind of this optimal age, I don't know. You wouldn't say there's a five-minute-year-old. Five-minute-year-old. <laughs> You wouldn't look at an infant. He didn't, I don't think he created an infant or even an amoeba. When he created a tree, I think he made a tree. And if I had to cut it down, I'd have counted lines and said, that's a 100-year-old tree. But it runs in. It's a 10-minute-old tree. But I think that's how he created it. That's just my way of looking at things. Getting back to Jesus. Sin robbed us of what God, Jesus, God and Jesus originally intended for creation. And everything else is aimed at getting back to what God originally created. The earth, I do not believe, is a holding pattern, a purgatory, if you will, 
waiting for heaven. I think heaven is getting back to what God and Jesus originally created in the first place. That's the original plan. But bad things happen when people turn away from God's plan or Jesus' plan. Another side lesson. You've heard it said. You may have said it. I've said it. What was God thinking? Why would God allow such and such and such to happen? And the truth is, is God said, look, what I created, that doesn't happen. That didn't happen. When you turn against me, when people go against what I, my will and my way, that's when bad stuff starts happening. Either directly, okay, like somebody said, how could God, you know, a, a drunk driver kills a child, hit and run, like with Sasha and Maya's little daughter, okay? How could... God, well, that wasn't God's will. God's will was that person not get drunk, but they went against God's will there. God's will was that person don't get drunk, don't get behind the wheel, but they went against God's will there. And then something bad happens. So when we start turning against God, sometimes directly it happens, sometimes indirectly, just sin in general, and the earth starts spinning. So that happens, God immediately says, let's get back to utopia here. Let's get back to what we created. Now remember, guys, Jesus didn't create this utopia for us. A lot of times we think in our elevated thought of ourselves, God created this for us. He created us to take care of it. We are a part of what he created. We're a part of Jesus' plan. We are a part of the creation. And he says, your job is to take care of and manage all else in the garden, for lack of a better term. That's a pretty good term because Moses chose to use it. But when humans choose sin, they choose to do their own will. That means they cease to become mediators of God's will in his creation. Because what our job is is to mediate God's will here. That's an incredible task. Have you ever thought your job is to mediate God's will on his creation, earth? Now, we're at odds with what's going on in the majority of the planet. Because the majority of the planet is not respecting God's will. The majority of the planet is not respecting God's plan. We're supposed to be trying to mediate God's will here. And we're at odds. Look at what Paul says in Titus chapter 1. Helps me to understand what Paul means here. It's just, it's different than just, I've adopted a different lifestyle than the planet. I've adopted a different paradigm of living than those around me. No, I'm supposed to mediate God's will. I'm part of God's plan for his creation that he's trying to get us all back to. And I'm trying to help this planet get to that. Titus 1, somebody read 11 through 15. 11 through 15 of Titus 1. Yes, ma'am, Leslie. Um, they must be silent because they are disrupting whole households. Okay, hold on. Am I off? Yeah. <laughs> Am I off? I'm, I'm sorry. If it's not Titus 1? Yeah, then I'm the one that's off. 
Huh? Titus what? One? One? Chapter one through five, not eleven through fifteen. For, for the grace of God has appeared to offer salvation to all. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's Titus two, eleven through fifteen. Okay, see, I was just testing you, <laughs> making sure you got that right. Okay, Titus two. Thank you. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And then 15. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Okay, so he's trying to help purify us he wants to purify for himself a people that gets back to what he created and what he created us to be. This is what Jesus created us to be. When Jesus saves you, it's not just save you from your sin. He goes, I'm trying to get you back to what I created you to be. This is what you're meant to be. The challenge for us is to understand that when God raised Jesus from the dead, Okay, we have the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In Ephesians 1, it says, and that's in verse 20 and 21, He seated Him in His right hand in the heavenly realms, above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, also in the one to come, that is the gospel. That this Jesus, and we're going to talk about that, I'll talk about this more in the sermon. Something's going on. But the elevation of Jesus after that death and burial and the resurrection, God elevates him to a new role. Sometimes we tend to think of, you know, Jesus was with God, he was God, then he came to earth, he took some time off, but he got his job back. <laughs> you know, he got his job back, and that's great. But when I read it, and then there's several other verses here that, again, I'll talk to you about in, 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 in the sermon, it seems like. Jesus is here, and then he empties himself. But when after the resurrection, God goes, now you're here. Mm -hmm. You have another role. It's not that you've got more power. It's not an issue of power. It's not an issue of ability. I mean, if you're omniscient, you're omniscient. What else what else are you going to know, right? right. If, you're, if you're omnipotent, you know, how much more powerful are you going to be? But he gets another role. You're now going to be over all power. What does he say here? In the heavenly realms, rule over authority, dominion, every name, this age, the age to come. And they're going, wow, well, wasn't that what he was before? Now, evidently, there was something different before. And now, this is what you've got. And now, everything, as we start to have to come in for a landing, and I've got like four more pages of notes, <laughs> but everything now is aimed at getting back to the garden. That's what we need to strive to live for. And I'm just going to cut to the chase here. There are some things. Oh, we'll, we'll go in the wrong direction. Um, Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. 
He gets this weird glimpse of heaven. This is the wolf will live with the lamb. Leopard will lay down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling are going to be together. And a little child will lead them. The cow is going to feed with the bear. The young are going to lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like an ox. That's weird. The infant will play near the cobra's den. That's weird. And the young child will put his hand into a viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord and the water, as the waters cover the sea. This sounds like what we kind of described before. Because if I'm like Peter says, I'm not worried. I kind of got a carefree life. Well, I'm not worried about the bear. I'm not worried about the lion. I'm not worried about the sneaky snake. I don't worry about the cowboys anyway. <laughs> you had to throw football in. Now, I agree that's God's favorite team, but that is not what we're talking about here. This is, it sounds like what he's talking about here. And again, is this all literal? It's a, I don't know, but the, the image it's conjuring up is, is it's a land. It's a place that attacking and like some of us, we won't even watch them National Geographic shows nope. where the lion's mowing down on the antelope. Nope. We don't like to see that. We don't even want to see it. It ain't even us that's getting eaten, but we don't want to see it. You know, or if you're like my wife. If a snake, just a snake comes on TV, she ain't watching it. She's changing the channel. <laughs> Much less baby sleeping near the viper's den, you know, putting her hand in it. I ain't going to see a picture of one. Can't even think <laughs> but we're trying to get back to this utopian God created this environment. And in Revelation 21 is where we get uh, verse 3. I heard a loud voice saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. It's an interesting thing. He didn't say we went and we're with God in his dwelling place. His dwelling place is now among the people. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Well, he's already our God, but he's with us, but he's not in a sense. I mean, God's not walking in in a sense. He is in a spiritual sense. You know what I'm saying? I get an image that this is something different than God is always with us in that sense. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things has passed away. Right. All right. And then he who is seated on the throne, which we've already established, is Jesus. I'm making everything new. The guy who made it in the first place. I'm making it all back the way it was. I'm getting it new again. Back to what we're having. When everything we understand, what is Jesus is trying to do? Is he tr he's trying to save me from my sin. Well, yes, but that's kind of serendipitous. What he's trying to do is get us back to what he created in the first place. The original plan, the original intent, the garden, that eternal life, that eternal however we live, what he created, what sin destroyed, what sin keeps us from, he created us to manage it, to tend it, to oversee it, to live among it, to enjoy the fruits of it. And he goes, that's what I'm trying to do. Now, i got to deal with your sins in order to get you there. Right. <laughs> okay? But your sins is not the primary. Getting you there is the primary thing. The sins are some of the things that's messing it up. 
And as we start thinking about Jesus in this way, we start seeing our world a little differently, I hope. We start seeing the world around us as if, well, this is his creation. But man, it's been messed up. It's been used and abused and left out in the rain and, and, and whatever you want to call it. And it's messing up. But he created all of this and he created me to be perfect. What can I do to try to help get back to that creation? Until he comes down and says, all right, I'm finally just going to do this for you. <laughs> and get us there. Which we'll talk a little bit about. Uh, as, as we get on and we move on to learning more about Jesus. And that's what this class is going to be about. It's not going to be facts and figures because that's boring, right, Emily? We're not going to get names and facts and figures in history. We're trying to get concepts because I'm convinced we're not going to understand technical stuff about Jesus' life because he just didn't seem all that interested in making it known to us. There are some things, but not a lot. We want to learn his character. We want to learn his heart. We want to learn what he's all about. As, as, as our Lord and as our creator and uh, how we can have that relationship with him. We're going to see more of that next door in 15 minutes. We'll start up our worship service. We'll see you over there. Thanks a ton. Thanks.